There we go. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Ness, for opening your home and that we could talk about this very important topic. So I put together... Actually, give me one second. Sure, sure. I just want to get my phone because... Sure. In the recorder. Okay, there it is. So we're talking about healthy self-esteem equals healthy relationships. So tonight, that's specifically what we're talking about. Last week, if uh, if you were at the Shear, you got the recording either way. But last week, we were at Mrs. Sipon's house. We spoke about self-esteem in general, how necessary it is for life. Tonight, we're going to touch on some of those points too, but more specifically focused on relationships. So there's a there's a great story, great story that Rabbi Schaefer, you know Rabbi Schaefer from the Schmooze, the Schmooze.com. So he... He says this over, um, and I remember, I don't remember which particular talk it was, but he, he said over how in the, in the 1940s, so the Barnum and Bailey Circus, so they're still, I think they're still in existence, right? I don't, I don't even know if they, maybe they went out of business, but either way, the Barnum and Bailey Circus, they're well known internationally, they would travel around and they had their big shows and the acrobats and the animals and the elephants and the everything. So... There was, one, there was one show they were doing in Hartford, Connecticut, where unfortunately there was a big fire that broke out and the show was being done in this big tent. And the entrances, the exits were being blocked because everybody was trying to get out. And unfortunately it was very tragic and a lot of people passed away. A lot of people passed away, a lot of people were hurt. It was a terrible thing, okay? Additionally though, something very interesting happened. Okay, the elephants that they have for the show that they would always use. So these elephants would typically be attached to these like stakes that were in the ground. Okay, that's how they would keep them. Like a, um, there would be a rope, you know, attached to a to a like a peg that's in the ground, and that's how they would keep them, you know, keep them keep them there, you know, at night until they needed them for the show. And then they would bring them back. Otherwise, the elephants would escape. You imagine elephants escaping in the middle of America, right? Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be good. So that's how they would keep them. When the fire broke out, so these elephants, they felt the fire so powerfully that they ripped apart the stake, ripped apart from the rope, and and they got out. Now, at the end of the day, Barnum and Bailey had a very big problem because as a result of this, they had to now replace all the elephants and get new elephants. Why? Because since these elephants now broke loose from, their, from, the, uh, from the rope, they taught themselves how to break loose from the rope, they're never going to be able to go back. Because, you see, it's like this. If an elephant weighs thousands and thousands of pounds, so an elephant is not going to remain attached to this little thing that's stuck in the ground. Why would the elephant remain there? The only reason the elephants remain there is because when they were little, they were trained, they were attached to the thing from the moment that they were born, and they tried to pull away, but they couldn't get away. And they tried to pull away, they couldn't get away. And they kept on doing it until they gave up. So they realized in their mind, the elephant, that you know what, I can't break loose from this rope, I can't break loose from this thing, so I'm stuck. This thing must be stronger than me, so I can't get out of it. So they got older and older and older and older, and they're thousands of pounds, massive elephants. They could easily just pull away, but they don't pull away because they're stuck there. Because in their mind, they think that they can't break loose until that one particular day when the fire was so strong, they just, they had to save their life. They were able to break loose. 
And then Barnabas said, I gotta, we got to get rid of these elephants. We have to get new ones because these ones will never stay because they realized that they could get out. And you think about it, it's a beautiful muscle, you know, because so many of us, so many people live their lives when it comes to self-esteem, they live their lives stuck like the elephant, that they're trapped. They're trapped. They, they've conditioned themselves in a certain way throughout my life that like I view myself from a certain lens and I'm, I'm limited. I'm in a box because of how I view myself. And in turn, they're stuck and they can never, ever break out of it, you know? And it's a, you know, it's a sad thing comparing ourselves to elephants, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who wants to do that? But the reality is that that's, that's what happens. That's what happens, that we get stuck. And if you take a look at um, number one on the sheet, Dr. Lieberman, Dr. David Lieberman writes something. He writes this very, very well. And this is really the starting point when it comes to self-esteem. He says that to the degree, by the way, as a disclaimer, I meant to say at the beginning, I do not claim in any which way to be an expert <laughs> in self-esteem. I'm putting that out there. Okay. I just, I, I, I studied the topic a little bit, you know, and, uh, and it's something that's so critical and so important. So what we have tonight is just putting together some research, but any real big questions in self-esteem, we'll talk about that tonight a little, but we got to go to, to the real professionals, you know, the people who really know the big stuff. But Dr. Lieberman says like this, to the degree that we lack self-esteem, we cannot love ourselves fully. To fill this emotional void, we turn to the world for approval. This behavior illuminates the source of all negative emotions and interpersonal conflicts. The acceptance and recognition that we crave comes in the form of respect. We erroneously believe that if only others would respect us, we would be able to respect ourselves by converting the adoration and the praise of others into self-love. In other words, before we, we read that last line, which is so critical, but in other words, that if other people, we think in our minds, low self-esteem causes us to think that if other people are going to respect me and other people will, will, will love me, okay, so then I'm able to, to convert that into my own personal love for myself. I'm able to like change that. Oh, now because somebody else loves me, somebody else respects me, now I'll convert that to my own personal self-respect. So he says that our self-worth is therefore dependent on others' opinions. And I underline that because that's the critical, that's the critical bottom line underlying issue as far as, I'm, as, far as my understanding of, of self-esteem. Because a person thinks their whole life, their whole life is totally dependent on others' actions. And therefore, they're stuck in that box like the elephant because I'm totally dependent on everybody else and what other and people think. On opinion? On, yeah, on others' opinion, mm-hmm. even if they don't voice their opinion. In other words, it's not necessarily about them voice. It's, it's how, in my mind, how I perceive their opinion of me. Mm-hmm. Okay? And now this is going to play a major role. This is going to play a major role when it comes to our relationships. So what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about, if you jump to the last sheet for a moment, the last sheet over here, we have the 10 effects of low self-esteem on relationships. Okay? And uh, yeah, that is a lot, okay? <laughs> it is a lot. And there are probably more. I'm sure there's a lot more. But we're going to go, the idea is that we're going to go through them one by one, explain, talk about them, and understand how low self-esteem affects ourselves, affects our kids, affects everybody around us, the people in our relationships. And then we'll talk about some ideas that hopefully, hopefully we can do to, uh, to be able to help. But number one is putting others down. One of the earliest, one of the earliest sources, at least to my understanding, um, in the Torah that talks about low self-esteem, okay, is Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah was a Rishon. And in his Drushos, there's a Sefer 
um, the Drushas of Rabbeinu Yonah, where he talks about on each and every parsha, he has like a whole essay that he writes. So on Parsha's Vayikra, he is talking. He, he gets into this idea, and he's talking about the Mida of Gaiva, of haughtiness. And he says over there a line, and I put it in English here. I couldn't get it in Hebrew. My apologies. I usually like to put it in Hebrew on the sheet, but it was like the only print I can get is this old school one. And I would have had to copy and paste and cut with scissors. It just, it wouldn't have looked too good. So, so, but here's what he says. We'll read in the English. This is a good translation. In truth, gaiva haughtiness only comes from a lack that the soul feels inside. It's very interesting. He's explaining where gaiva, where haughtiness comes from. So he says it comes from a lack that this, I'm sorry, we're back on page number one. Mm-hmm. That the soul feels inside, even though a person doesn't know it to say it. Nevertheless, since the soul comes from a higher place, it feels this lack inside. And a Balgaiva, a haughty person, thinks he can fill that void when he expresses his haughtiness over people that he considers lower than him, who are not lacking in the area that his soul feels a void in. It's very interesting. So, Gaiva. Now we've heard about this concept from modern day, uh, you know, psychologists, etc. But the fact that you know, where did they get this from? The fact that Rabbi Yona from so many years ago, Arishon, was you know, understood this. He understood this so deeply that when a person feels gaiva haughtiness, so I'm not sure if he's saying this is the only reason, this is the only source, or there are other sources too. But either way, at least one source where that comes from is because deep inside they feel a lack, something that they're lacking something that they're not fulfilled in, something that they're missing. And he says that they don't even realize it, but in turn, they have to compensate. So the way that they compensate is that they like, they lure themselves, they put themselves over other people and knock other people down in order for them to feel good about themselves. Okay. Very, um, you know, very scary thing. Okay. Very scary thing. Okay. When it comes to our relationship, especially children who have no, ability to recognize this and to see this and to, to understand what's going on, their self-esteem, etc. So they have no idea. So they're just running around bullying other kids, okay? First sign is when we see, if we see a child doing that um, and constantly putting other people down, constantly looking negatively, it could be that that's where it's coming from. It could be that's a sign of the low self-esteem and that's what needs to be worked on, okay? Now what's interesting is that I saw that Rabbi Tversky writes that this is a great book, by the way. Great book, excellent book, right by Dr. Tversky. Angels don't leave footprints. Very, very cool, uh, very cool book. He talks. I mean, all his books are all about self-esteem. Um, but I got a lot of information for the shear from here, as well as from this beautiful sefer called Kavod Ha'atzmi, um, Honor for Myself, which I got this in Eretz Yisrael a number of years ago. This this sefer goes through and finds all the different sources in the Torah. The Rishonim and the, everybody puts it all together on low self-esteem. But either way, so he says, I believe it was Dr. Tversky who says, Rabbi Tversky, that when that ends up happening, they insult other people. He says, people can see right through that. I don't know about kids so much, but adults definitely could. They see right through it. And in turn, they, they recognize that, hey, this is like, you know, a person with a solid self-esteem wouldn't need to be putting me down. So if the person that they're insult, insulting has a healthy self-esteem, so then they're going to see through what's going on. And then in turn, the other person realizes that they see through it and then they feel worse about themselves. It's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. So that number one is, number one is the putting, putting other, people's down, people, other people down. Then number two, this is very interesting. You would think 
that a person who insults other people, so, okay, if they're insulting other people, they probably could handle insults, right? No. <laughs> a person, when it comes to dealing with insults, when other people criticize them, and criticism and insults may be two different things, we'll talk about that in a moment, but insults, when they, when they get insulted, when somebody else says something not nice, they shouldn't have said it. They shouldn't have said it, but they did say it. It's a fact of everyday life. People insult other people. How does a person with low self-esteem handle it? They don't. They don't. And they feel because, again, because their whole life is living in that box based on what Dr. Lieberman said, based on what other people think. My whole value is about what other people think. Now that somebody knocked me down, forget it. My life is over. Mm-hmm. My, now, uh, you know, to the degree of how severe the self-esteem is, that's going to affect how strong they feel. Mm-hmm. But everything's over. My world crushes because I, and I, I, I don't know how to handle it. Yeah. I don't know how to handle it. You know, so, and in every single relationship, by the way, tonight we're talking about not just, you know, relationships with our spouse, but relationships with our kids, our kids' relationships with each other, relationships at work, every single day. We all have loads and loads of relationships that are going on, you know, that, and everything is affected. This person will not be able to handle insults. Now, that gets us to number three. What about constructive criticism? Persons at work, right? We want to train our kids to be like good, solid members of society. So they're going to go to work. And if they have low self-esteem and the boss gives them you know, some feedback on the job that they did, sometimes bosses are nice about it. Sometimes they're not, <laughs> right? Depends on the boss, right? But um, you could relate. You... <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they don't know how to say it, right? Everybody needs a lesson in, you know, a Rebbe of mine recently said a great line. He said that most people in the world have no idea how to communicate. <laughs> Nothing to do with self-esteem here. Just, if you just stop and you think about it, that's such an amazing, like when he said that, it was like, wow, that's eye-opening. Like, you're right. Like most people just have no idea how to communicate normally. Now it's worse. <laughs> oh, much. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> right? That's how we communicate. Know how to communicate by text and, uh-huh. and, you know, they have the expressions with the faces. With the emojis? With the people and they, they don't have an expression. Yeah. Right? Right? No idea. No idea how to talk. Yeah. No idea how to talk on the phone or in person, especially in person, you know. So it's a, it's a serious issue. But when it comes to constructive criticism, right? So some people are going to be giving us constructive criticism throughout life. Yeah. So a person with low self-esteem, how do they handle that? They don't. They don't because why? Again, same idea, because my whole life is dependent on you, mm-hmm. on your opinion. Mm-hmm. So if you think negatively of me, of the job that I did, whatever it may be, the job that I tried to do, the homework assignment that I did, the, the, the sports game that I was playing in, if you tried to help me improve, you're telling me that my swing in the baseball game is no good? Mm-hmm. You're telling me that I don't have the right type of shot? What do you mean? My whole world collapses. My whole world collapses. So dealing with people, handling insults, constructive criticism, all very important. Number four, this is a big one. Self-fulfilling prophecies. He says over, Rabbi, Rabbi Tversky says over a great story. He says over a great story. He says there was a child who woke up in the morning and he's crying hysterically. And the mother says, what's wrong? The loving mother comes in. What's wrong? What's the problem? 
And he says, you're going to hit me. You're going to hit me. And she says, what? What are you talking about? You must have had a nightmare. Everything is fine. Everything is wonderful. You're going to have a great day. He says, no, you're going to hit me. You're going to hit me. And she says, no, no one's going to hit you. Everyone loves you. You had a nightmare. Everything is wonderful. She starts calming him down and giving him food. But he's still screaming, no, and no, and no. And as time goes on, she's trying to calm him down. But her tone is getting a little bit stronger and stronger. You know, calm down. No one's going to hit you. No one's going to hit you. He says, no, you're going to hit me. You're going to hit me. Until finally, she gets so annoyed that she hits And he says, you see? I told you you were going to hit me. <laughs> and, you know, the, the message is, Dr. Chorsky says, that this is what happens all the time with people with low self-esteem. It's called the self-fulfilling prophecy. They decide in their mind that something negative is going to happen to them. They think because of their negativity, because of their low self-esteem, that in turn somebody is going to hit me or somebody is going to hurt me. And then because of that, they create a situation for themselves in their life where that person actually does put them down or hurt them because of the situation that they got there, that themselves in. There's a psychologist, Sandra Murray, from the University of Buffalo. And she said, she, she did a study on married couples and found something very, very interesting. She found that people, when one spouse had like low measures of self-esteem, so what would happen is they would, excuse me, they would anticipate a certain negative reaction or a negative behavior from their spouse that was unfounded for no reason whatsoever. They're just, for whatever reason, they made up in their mind, but my spouse, my husband, my wife is going to treat me negatively because of whatever, X, Y, and Z. They're going to do this to me. So in turn, what did they do back? Because they made up in their mind that, that my spouse is going to hurt me or insult me. So they made up in their mind, you know what, I'm going to insult my spouse first. So I'm going to go and insult the spouse. So that's what they did. Before the spouse had an opportunity to open their mouth and say this negative thing that they had no intention of saying, mm-hmm. this person with the of Zoom insults them back. You're a loser. You shouldn't have done that, right? Or whatever. And then in turn, what do, what do typical people do when they get insulted? They respond back. <laughs> they respond back. So what happened? A self-fulfilling prophecy. This person caused it for themselves because of their low self-esteem. She did another study on college students um, with, their, with their friends that uh, also, same idea, took one person with low self-esteem. And this was very interesting. And they had the, the other person, the friend, sitting in a room. And would, the friend would have a, like an angry face. I think that was the idea, right? An angry face or some type of a negative face. And a negative emoji. <laughs> right? And the person with the low self-esteem would come into the room and before, no words, just see the face. What would happen is the people with the low self-esteem would often interpret that face, that negative look, as that they did something wrong. That I, I personally did something wrong to you because you're making this face. Because you you're making this angry face. I must have done something to you. And in turn, they went and they would say something back and say something, you know, whatever to them. Again, same idea. But the people with the healthier self-esteem were able to understand and were able to say, oh, you know, maybe they're just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Maybe something happened in their world. Mm-hmm. But like nothing to do with me. Right. Nothing that I did, you know. So the self-fulfilling prophecies are something, are something that happen all the time. 
happen all the time, okay? And, and with kids, okay, with kids, we find that they could do this type of thing like in our first story, right? I mean, that's obviously extreme that you're going to hit me. But when it comes to their relationships, they create this type of situation for themselves. We find that kids in their friendships, okay, kids with lower self-esteem, what they're going to end up doing is they're going to end up like feeling that the other person, okay, feeling that the, that, that the other person in the relationship, like I, I need so much from them. I need so much from them that they can't, um, you know, I'm not going to allow them. I'm going to control them in a certain type of way because I need their attention. I need their full attention. I need them to be totally involved in my life. I need that. I can't allow them to have any other friends, just me. Again, those are extreme examples. But these are all things that come up when it comes to our kids' friendships, and they end up creating these, like, these negative things. You, oh, you, you know, you, you're not going to be my friend anymore. You're going to ditch me for the other person, right? With girls, you find this, right? <laughs> right? A lot, right? A lot of drama, right? <laughs> A lot of drama, more than the boys. Right? The boys, yeah, forget it. Let's just go play baseball, right? <laughs> but, but the boys also have this. I'm saying it's, it's a fact when it comes to low self-esteem, okay, that these feelings are going to be generated, okay? So it's an important thing you know, it's an important thing to look out for in our kids. So let's go on. Okay, let's go on. So number five is that I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be loved. And I don't feel, I don't feel that I deserve to be cared for. Um, when it comes to these feelings of low self-esteem within a person, so a person feels that, that like if somebody else is showing me affection, there's no way that it could be real. It, it can't be real because I'm not deserving of affection. Isn't that so sad? I mean, it's very, it's very sad. I'm not deserving of affection. I'm not deserving of friendship. I'm not deserving of love. So why, why is this person doing it? It must be because they're trying to get something out of me. Right? They're trying to get something out of me. They're trying to get my money. They're trying to get uh, whatever it is. They're trying to get, if it's a kid, they're trying to get the answers because I'm smart. They're trying to get the answer for the test. Whatever it may be, you know, they, they, they know my mother makes a good potato kugel, so they're trying to get the <laughs> whatever, right? But they're not looking to be friends with me. That's it. And when it comes to, um, when it comes to, our, when it comes to our marriages, to our marriages, when it comes to training our kids to be able to have, you know, have healthy marriages in life. Rabbi Tversky tells a story. I'll read the story. It's perfect when you tell it over the way he says it. Uh, I I wouldn't do justice on my own. He says that there was a guy who came to him who was a brilliant scientist um, who came for therapy. He said, but this did not provide him with any self-esteem. He said he felt comfortable in social situations because he could dazzle his audience with his brilliance. He was a brilliant guy. He felt safe socially because he could present a facade of competence and value. Hence, he had no fear of exposure. But during the courtship, when he spent several hours with his fiancée, he felt that his facade precluded exposure. However, once they were married, he felt threatened by not being able to keep up a facade throughout the constant and intimate relationship of marriage. How can you keep up that type of a fake, uh, fake, you know, fake showing of yourself throughout, throughout a marriage? So he felt like threatened. So he feared that under these circumstances, his wife would see right through the facade and discover the real person whom he felt was so defective. To avoid her dreaded reaction that would result from her discovering his real self, he distanced himself from her. 
Fortunately, the young man was able to accept the diagnosis that he was lacking in true self-awareness. Rectifying this resulted in a marked improvement in their relationship. So you see how their, their relationship was so negatively affected. So negatively affected. Because he felt that there's no way that somebody could possibly love the real me. So he has to put on a show of who he really is, some fake idea, some, some facade, you know. But when it comes down to it, a person, you know, and, and everybody before their marriage can do this, like you see in the story. But ultimately, like we're trying to train our kids to, be, to live healthy lives and good lives. The, the, the ultimate is for them to get married and live positive lives. They, you can't fake this. You can't fake it, you know. You can't fake that. So being able, so a person to, to, to feel that they deserve to be loved, that they, I, I really deserve to be loved. I deserve to be cared for. I deserve to have friends. I deserve to have friends. That's a very important thing. And when kids start saying stuff like that, that I don't deserve this, I don't deserve to have friends, I, nobody, I, nobody, why would anybody want to be my friend? You ever hear lines like that from a kid? Why would anybody want to be my friend? How do you create that self-esteem where you do tell your kid you're loved? I have like one of my daughters, she's like, let's call it popular, but she doesn't feel that way. She feels like, why would the, my friends want to play with me? Right. And it's like, how do I tell her that they actually love her so much? <clears throat> right, right, right. Okay, so... Good question. Okay, hold the question. We're gonna be we're gonna get into that soon when we start talking about the, uh, you know, the what we can do, what we what we can do to help. We'll hopefully answer all that. I don't know if we will, but we'll try. <laughs> but let's get through what the issues are. So I think it's so important to understand, because otherwise, if we don't, I, I'm telling you, before I when I went through, it was mostly through this safer, which is such a beauty. He really spells out a lot of this, like just what happens, what the low self esteem does, like because we, we, we all know that low self esteem, low self esteem, but. When you start seeing these types of things and you're aware of this is what happens, like 10 easy steps, 10 commandments, you, you know, like this. So then we start to see it in our children. Hey, why'd they have that reaction? Why are they doing that? Why are they saying things like that, that I don't deserve to feel love? So, and then it says, you know, hey, maybe this is coming from low self-esteem. Maybe I should talk this out with a therapist. I should talk this out with somebody who knows. You know, but let's let's finish through these, and then let's get into some uh, some tips of what we could do. Um, number six, the ability to assert an opinion. Very interesting one. A person with low self esteem cannot assert an opinion. They're not going to be able to say in class, as far as a kid, to say in the classroom what they honestly think when the teacher, the rebbe, the moro, whatever, asks an opinion. What's your opinion? I, my opinion is not worth anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to feel like I want to assert an opinion. They're not going to be able to assert their opinion in their jobs. And most importantly, and the worst, worst, they're not going to be able to assert their opinion in their marriage. Okay, they're not going to be able to, to in, the, in, the, in their marriage with their children, an adult with low self-esteem is going to get walked all, walked all over by their children because they can't assert themselves. Okay, so that's a, that's a very important one. Number seven, the ability to listen. Very interesting. People with good self-esteem, a person with good self-esteem um, isn't likely to like respond, okay, when somebody else is talking to them, okay, to like be impulsive, okay, but a person with lower self-esteem is going to be very, is more likely at least to, um, to be impulsive because the reason why is because I, I, I like, I need to show, again, it's all about, I, I don't have that, that value within me, okay, I don't have that value within me, so I need to show something, I need to prove myself, in some way. Um, and then, 
you know, and, and then what happens is they just end up expressing, expressing some opinion. It may not be a good opinion. If they realize it's not such a good opinion, that affects the self-esteem even deeper, okay? So a lot of these things, like we said before, it's a, uh, you know, it's a cycle. Um, number eight, the ability to give. Dr. Lieberman talks about this in, um, in this article I read that he, uh, that he had said, which is very, very interesting. He said that very often, getting into that Rabbeinu Yonah we spoke about at the beginning, if a person has a void, if a person with low self-esteem has this void within them, that means that they're looking to fill that void. That means that they can't, they're not in a place to be able to give. They're just in a place to be able to take. And they're constantly taking. But again, the void isn't, isn't getting filled because what are they taking? They're missing that feeling of self-worth that they need to generate on their own for themselves, which nobody else could, could give them. Mm-hmm. So, so what does it do? So they fill themselves up with other stuff that they take, but in turn it goes nowhere. So they're constantly taking, they're constantly taking, but they're not necessarily able to give. And we all know that in marriage, in any friendship, in any, you have to be able to give. To be able to give. The, the people who are always the takers don't have successful relationships ever. Right? They can't. They can't. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Okay? Wait, wait, I, I didn't understand that. You say that people that have low self-esteem, it's hard for them to, to give? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's going to be harder. That's what Dr. Lieberman writes. Yeah, that it's going to be harder for them to give because they, it's going to be hard for them to give because... To give and what? Like advices to give? Yeah, because they feel they're worthless. Yeah. So if my advice that I can give you is not worth <clears throat> enough, I'm not going to try to try. tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And to give, right, to give their advice or to be that person as well, to see, like, I see that my spouse really, like, really needs something, you know, without the spouse telling them, hey, go to the store and get me... You know, but like, mm-hmm. I see... My spouse is in a certain mood. I need to be, you know, I, w- I want to be able to help them, to go out of my way, to be able to give them. I see for a child, I see my friend is, you know, needs some extra care. My friend is, in, is a little down. I need some extra care to go out of my way for them. Mm-hmm. That's going to be much harder. First of all, they're probably not even going to notice that because they're so, like, ingrained in themselves. But even if they do notice it, it's like, ah. I just need to get for myself because I'm so lacking. Mm-hmm. I'm so lacking. Not again. Not to put blame. Chas It's coming from a. It's it's coming from a sad place. Yeah. It's not like oh hey you terrible person you're not giving no chas they can't. Yeah. But they really can't. You know. Um, okay. Number nine. This is a sad one. When uh, happy when another, when others stumble. Okay. It, you know, if a person doesn't value themselves, they're not going to value others like it was said before. And to be able to be happy for somebody else, okay, to be able to be happy for somebody else when they have achieved something or to be sad for somebody when, they, when something bad happened to them requires a healthy self-esteem. If a, a person with a low self-esteem doesn't want it, it it's it, it, when I if I have a low self-esteem and I see people that are successful and they're constantly being more successful that makes me feel worse about myself because I'm not successful so deep down they'll never say this because who would say such an awful thing but deep down they really they're so happy when other people stumble okay when somebody else 
you know, somebody else doesn't get, you know, applies for a job and doesn't get the job. The child in the class, somebody else doesn't get a, uh, you know, doesn't get a hundred or gets a lower mark. That person's going to be deep down, they're happy. And, you know, if on one level it's bad enough that they feel it inside, but it's even worse. It's even worse that they, um, that this ends up manifesting itself in the relationship. Because how could you possibly be friends with this person? How could that be a, a strong, solid friendship if you don't mm-hmm. care for, their, for the good things, for their achievements, and for, for feeling bad for them when they're in, ter- in bad situations? Mm-hmm. You know? And last but not least, expressing gratitude. A person with low self-esteem is going to be hesitant to... This is one I thought would be very interesting. It's going to be hesitant to express gratitude. I think Dr. Tversky writes this too because he feels that if I express gratitude to other people, what, what am I saying? By expressing gratitude to somebody else, that means that I'm thankful because you did something for me. Now, the low self-esteem individual interprets that as like, ah, I need them, I'm dependent on them. Okay, so it's all a manifestation of that low self-esteem that's just hitting them deeper and they're not going to really be expressing a proper gratitude to other people. And in turn, we know what happens when people don't say thank you and people aren't appreciative in, in a relationship. It's, forget about it. Right? We're, not, we're not interested in that type of a relationship. So the question is, okay, oh, that was a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, A lot of sad things that happen when it comes to people with low self-esteem. So what do we do? So what can we do to help? So number one, okay, and this, we're going to start addressing your point over here. So number one, we all need to feel special. Okay? Um, if you look at number four on your sheet, I... I I don't like to put this many things on the sheets usually by the shiurim, but I just felt that this, these, some of these were so important. I can never do justice to say it over. Dr. Bensian Saratskin, a very well-known therapist in Brooklyn, um, in, especially in the Frum community. Uh, I believe he's a rabbi, also a rabbi doctor. Um, but he, he writes extensively and he deals with so many cases, so many cases, so many issues in the Frum community. I don't know if you've heard the name, Dr. Saratskin, but he's unbelievable. He's one of the gurus. And so I read an article that he, uh, that he wrote called Is Self-Esteem Synonymous with Gaiva? We're going to read through what he says and then talk out this point. Okay, he says like this. He said that Rav Dessler states, Rav Dessler states that every person has a natural need to feel a sense of individuality, a sense that he is a person separate from other people. Very interesting. This need leads a person to seek qualities in himself that make him superior to others. Now, that's a need. This is a basic need, according to Rav Dessler. A basic need. I need to feel like an individual. I need to feel different from other people. And in turn, I'm seeking qualities that make me almost superior to others. Now, he asks the obvious question. He says, one could ask, if seeking to feel superior to others is a negative mita, so then how then does one acquire the necessary feeling of individuality? The feeling of being special in some way and not just one, one of millions of people. So I would like to suggest, this was his answer, I thought this was brilliant, that the answer lies in feeling special by appreciating our uniqueness rather than by trying to feel superior to others. It's not about feeling superior. It's about appreciating your uniqueness. Uniqueness does not require superiority to others. When Chazal mentioned that every person has a unique appearance, they aren't suggesting that any particular appearance is superior. Chazal say that the same way that there's no, um, no two faces in the world are the same, no two footprints are the same, right? So too, there's no two people that have the same level of wisdom and the same understanding and the same way of viewing the world. 
So he says, likewise, a unique fingerprint, there it is, doesn't mean a superior one. Revolbi writes that if a person truly contemplated the extent of his uniqueness, that from the beginning of time until the end of time, there never was or never will be, or ever will be someone exactly like him, it should cause him to shudder. Wow, I'm such, a, I'm such an amazing person. There will no, never be anybody like me. I'm so unique. Never. Now, in families and schools where uniqueness is confused with superiority, children are often driven to an unhealthy drive for perfectionism. It's very interesting. Underlying the unhealthy need for perfection is the need to feel special. It seems to me that when this natural need is satisfied in childhood, with the child feeling that he is subjectively special in his parents' eyes, it will not remain a central focus of a person's daily life. If this need is unfulfilled in childhood, then it can take the form of an unhealthy drive to achieve objective, objective specialness, superiority, perfection in adulthood. Okay? So he's saying that when it's given over to our children, and our children could be many ages, but when our children are made to feel special just because they're special, not because they're better than anybody else. You're not... I'm not saying that you're special because you're better than him or because you're better than her at the art, at the sports, at the, at the Gemara, at the math, whatever. No, no. You're special because you're special. You could get the worst grades in the class. You could be the, you know, always strike out in the baseball game. You're special because you're special. You are special. And he says, to paraphrase a quote I once saw, you may be only one person in the world, but you should be the world to your parents. Growing up with this feeling of being special in his parents' eyes would help a child be accepting of himself, even if he is less than perfect, and even though there are others who are superior to him. As long as he is special to them, he can accept being average to the rest of the world. Very critical line, except being average to the rest of the world. If someone was unique to his parents without having to be objectively superior, then he will be able to believe that he is unique in Hashem's eyes with a unique mission in this world, even if he isn't superior to others. For a person, for a person to recognize, I know that was, a, that was a mouthful, but for a person to be able to actually recognize and to see through their, you know, to, 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 to value the fact that they are special. The fact that they are special. I am special. I am special. And where does that specialness come from? It comes from the fact that I'm unique. Unique doesn't mean I'm better than somebody else. It doesn't mean I, I could be very average in every way. But I'm unique. I'm unique. And, you know, we're going to be getting into that a little bit more of talking about, like, noticing. That's really number two on this. she recognizing the strengths that they do have and building on it. Taking the uniqueness. Really finding the uniqueness that they have. And building on it, great story I saw about a kid who was, uh, he was going out into the backyard and he had a baseball and a bat. And he says, there's nobody there, but he says out to the world, he says, I am the greatest baseball player ever. And he throws the ball up in the air, swings the bat, and he misses. The ball falls on the ground. He picks up the ball, he throws it up again, and he announces, I am the best baseball player in the world. He swings, and he misses again. A third time, he tries, I, I, I'm telling you, I am the best baseball player in the world. He throws the ball up, and he swings, and again, the third time, he misses. And at that point, he says, I am the best baseball player in the world. I'm the best pitcher in the world. <laughs> 
Because he, you know, he focused, he focused on what his strengths are, right? Now it's a cute little story, but... I want to write it down. Focus on the strengths. Yeah. That's super important. I, I write Super it. important, yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's so, so critical. I was talking about this in the last class, and, um, you know, also just about people, like especially kids, okay, they, they, they all have something that they're into and something that they like and something that they're good at. It's so critical for us to, to find that thing and to help them build on it. I, I used to think that like, I used to think that like things like sports and art and gymnastics and, and, and all these types of things, okay, are all, are good because it's good. It's a good healthy outlet. It's good kosher fun. It's great. It's whatever, right? whatever, it's good, it's nice. I realized, though, recently that it's so much more than that. I think it was through preparing this class. Like, it, it struck me. It's like, no, it's so much more than that. These things have the ability to build kids' self-esteem. And for anybody to make a claim that, like, oh, you know, for, little, for, for younger kids, oh, they shouldn't be playing sports, you know, uh, Torah, you know, like... No, <laughs> no, they shouldn't be doing, they shouldn't be doing art, you know, because it's, it's nonsense. No, that's ridiculous. If the kid is good at art, even not so good, but they think they're good or whatever it is, okay, they enjoy it. They get into it. They have a good time. They love it. They feel good about themselves. That's, that does so much, so much for their self-esteem. Yeah, at the end of the day, as far as being religious Jews, being a football player, you know, when I was in kindergarten, that was like my parents had the magnet up on the wall. The teacher asked, what does everybody want to be? So I said, I want to be a football player. I said, I want to be a football player, you know, even though <laughs> I wasn't that good at football. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be in the NFL, right? But that, those aren't our goals for our kids, of course. But the bottom line is when a kid feels good about it and when a kid does well and they're on the, and they're on the school basketball team and they're on the varsity and they're on the whatever, you know, and they do good about it. They, that builds their self-esteem. It's such an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And true about every single thing. And whether that's, you know, some kids are good at the smarts, you know, with their intellect and, the, and their brain, you know, and then their brains, etc. And they're learning. Some kids with these types of activities. Everybody has their thing. Exactly. Everybody has their thing. And we need to find that thing and build on it. Build on it and build on that, you know, to be able to... Um, you know, to be able to help them achieve. Rabbi Zelig Pliskin writes, in number five on the sheet, he writes that considering yourself important is an essential mindset, essential. Feeling good about yourself is a basic human need. Knowing your inner strengths and your positive qualities enables you to use them again and again. Acknowledging your past accomplishments and achievements gives you a happier life and enables you to continue to accomplish and achieve much more. Your self-image creates the quality of your life, acknowledging your past accomplishments and achievements. Also a very important thing. We spoke before about the talents, hitting on people's talents and, and whatever, focusing in on that. People also need to focus in on their achievements. They need to focus in on their achievements. When they did good at whatever it was, at the sports, at the learning, at the whatever it may be, we got to go with that. We got to go with that in a big way, especially when it comes to mitzvos. Right? Especially when it comes to the Ruchnias, because that's really ultimately what we're trying to, you know, we want to train them to succeed in. But anything that they accomplish, focus in, focus in, focus in. We had a class last week at school in the morning. We started doing this um, Morning for Mothers program. I don't know if 
if, if you've been able to go. But it's, uh, we try to do it like once a month or so, we have different people from the, uh, from the yeshiva speaking. Um, it's nice. We do it from like uh, 9.45 uh, till 9.45, like drop off, two classes, right after drop off. So Rabbi Ephraim Palgon was speaking. He said something. He quoted over Rabbi Shaya Kohn, who's a big, uh, well-known rav and educator, Rosh Hashiva in New York. He said that as parents, sometimes we often get used to like that the ratio is like for every 10 things that we like, 10 insults that we give our kids, 10, not insults, but 10 uh, knocks, you know, that we, that we knock them down. There's one compliment. He said, we have to like, parents have to train themselves to go the other way. That for every 10 compliments, there's one, you know, <laughs> one thing that we give them that's a little negative, you know, but that's one to 10. You know, because these, the accomplishments, the focus, the positive, look at what you did, look at how you succeeded. And by the way, succeeding doesn't necessarily have to mean, it doesn't necessarily, succeeding doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, you got 100 on the test or the 90 on the test or you, or you got the goal in the soccer game. Succeeding could mean if you didn't do well on the test, but you picked yourself up and you, and you showed strength and gvura and you went at it and you continued... That's amazing that there, was the, that there was that soccer game and you didn't score the goal and you did strike out in the baseball game, but you continued playing and you didn't quit and you didn't give up. That's an accomplishment, right? Just a matter of how we, how we spin it. All of these things create, create positive self-esteem. There's one last point that is so critical. One last point. Where is it? Number three on the sheet. To keep in, my, in mind the environment our kids are in. The, if you go to number four, be, I, I saw the most beautiful pshat. The most beautiful pshat. This is a, this is a beauty. You'll go, you, you tell this to your husbands, this is a, this is a beauty. In Pirkei Avos it says, at the top of number four A, a person has to distance, keep a distance from an evil neighbor. Russia, and do not, um, do not become attached to a Russia. And do not abandon faith when it comes to retribution. So the first part of the Mishnah, there's an obvious question. Distance yourself from a shachin ra, from a bad neighbor, but, and don't become close, don't become attached to a Russia, to a wicked person. Now the way that Rav Isaac Sher was the Rosh Hashiva of the Slavodka Yeshiva, he, he picks up on this. He says, the idea of harchik, from a, that, that's, a, that's a stronger language. Distance yourself. It sounds like from the Mishnah that the bad neighbor is worse almost than the Russia. It seems that you need to stay farther away from the bad neighbor than from the Russia. Right? The Russia, obviously don't be friends with the Russia, but it says don't be attached to a Russia. But it doesn't say don't go far, far away from a Russia. But the Mishnah does say from the bad neighbor, stay far, far away. What does this mean? What does this mean? So Dr. Ben-Sion Sarotskin is the one who I saw. He quoted over this pshat. And look at number 4B on the bottom. On 4B, you have it in the Hebrew. But on 4B on the bottom, he paraphrases what Rav Isaac Sher says and his most beautiful idea. And it'll help us with understanding the self-esteem. He says, there's an amazing explanation by Rav Isaac Sher on the Mishnah. We should keep a distance from a bad neighbor and not become friends with a Russia. Rav Sher points out that we see from this Mishnah that the danger of a bad neighbor from whom we not only have to distance ourselves, but even need to keep others away from. He says, Harchek means distance away from other people. 
distance other people from him too, from is much worse than the danger from a Russia, from whom we are only warned not to become overly friendly with. What is the evil nature of this bad neighbor? It can't be that we're describing him as Ra because he's a Russia, since the Russia is already mentioned separately. So, right, we already spoke about the Russia. That's the separate. So, what is this guy? Rav Sher explains that a bad neighbor is someone who evaluates you in a negative manner. Isn't that unbelievable? That's a bad neighbor. He himself may, may behave in an exemplary manner. He could come across like a big tzaddik. He dives three times a day. He learns in everything. And thus serves as a great example. But the fact that he evaluates you in a negative manner will have a negative impact on your self-esteem, which will certainly negatively impact on your spiritual health. Such a person is so dangerous that you need to both stay away from such a person and even warn others to keep their distance from this person. A neighbor whose own behavior serves as a bad example, a rasha, but sees you in a positive manner, will have less of a negative impact on you, says Rav Sher, and therefore you only need to avoid becoming overly friendly with him. Isn't that unbelievable? A Russia, right? A Russia. He's a sinner. He does terrible things. Right? So when he calls it a neighbor, he just, he means a person. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I don't know how he got that from the word Shachin Ra, but that's his interpretation. Okay. That it means, yeah, any, a per, but a person that views you negative uh-huh. says stay away from because that's so dangerous to the self-esteem. Uh-huh. And this idea, this idea of other people's opinions of us, okay, can be so, so, so dangerous, okay? And when we're talking about our kids and we want them to grow up with a healthy self-esteem, we can't control who our f- kids are friends with like, it just, we're not going to be able to control that fully. But we could, we could manipulate situations for our kids to be in the right settings. Um, and we, like, we need to have our ears and our eyes open to if other children are, you know, that term bully gets, like, thrown around a lot. It's a very strong term. But, but if other children are talking negatively to our children, okay, and putting them down, and we see that behavior with a certain, like, we should, not, we should try to do our best, <laughs> whatever we can, to avoid that type of a circumstance, okay? Similarly, um, there could be any, there could be a, a certain, you know, a certain situation that a child may be in that just the situation itself causes them to feel negatively about themselves, you know? For example, and this should not be taken the wrong way, but like a... You know, when it comes to certain, you know, in schools, there's like, there's, there's classes that are honors classes, this class is that class is, okay. A person should just really think things through when they make a decision that they, if they want their child to be in a certain environment. Because if I push my kid, there's, and I've heard from people like say, I want my kid to be challenged more. I want my kid to be challenged more in the learning or in the secular says whatever it is. True, and that's good, and the kids, and kids, you know, intellect should be challenged, especially in ruchnias and the learning, they should be. But it has to come with a healthy balance because if they're in a situation where they're going to not feel good about themselves, that's not good, that's going to knock who they are. That's going to knock who they are. So it has to be very carefully balanced. You know, if a child is in a situation where they're the smartest in the class and they could be challenged more, yeah, okay, so, so, maybe, so maybe it's the right thing for them. But just this needs to be a factor in the equation. You know, where do we send our kids to camp? Where do we send, whatever it may be, all of these types of things, what, 
type of setting are they in? Where are they hanging out? Whose house? This and that. Part of the equation is, part of the equation has to be in addition to them being safe, of course, and etc. But part of safety is their self-esteem. And if people are going to, if they're going to be in a place where they're going to get knocked down, then that's going to, uh, that's going to really, that's going to really hurt them. There's one last story. We'll hold with this and then we'll talk out some of these points if you, if you like. Um, but I saw this cute story about this boy who, um, he said to his father, he said, how do you, how do you understand uh, self-worth? How do, you, how do I understand my value? So the father didn't say anything to him. He said, listen, he said, this is what you're going to do. He said, here's a stone. Here's a stone, a beautiful gem. It's like a beautiful gem. He gives him the gem. He says, I want you to go, okay? I want you to go out into the marketplace with this gem. And if anybody asks you, and go try to sell the gem. If anybody asks you how much it costs, don't say anything. Just go like this. Just put up two fingers. So the boy says, okay. He listens to his father. He goes out to the marketplace. Some lady comes over and says, oh, that's such a beautiful stone. I would love to have that in my front lawn. How much does it cost? The boy goes like this. So he says, oh, two dollars? Two dollars? Okay, two dollars. She gives him two dollars, he gives her the stone. He goes back home, tells his father what happened. The father gives him another stone that's just like that stone, a beautiful stone. He says, this time, okay, he says, this time I want you to go to the, um, he says, this time I want you to go to the shop, okay, where they sell, the shop where they sell the jewelry, okay? And I want you to head on in there, and, and the same idea. I'm sorry, he said, this time I want you to go to the museum. Same idea. If anybody asks you how much it costs, too, okay? And uh, so the guy, guy comes over to the museum and says, wow, that looks like such a precious, precious jewel. It would be so beautiful here. How much does it cost? It's two. He just puts up the two fingers. The guy says, $200? Absolutely. He says, I'll take it. Pays him the $200. Boy goes home, tells his father. Father gives him another precious jewel. He says, go back. I want you to go to a particular store that sells and deals with very precious jewels. And same thing. If they ask you how much it costs, you just go like this. Same story happens. He goes, they say, such a beautiful jewel. We want it. How much does it cost? Goes like this. They say, $2,000? $2,000? We'll take it. And they buy the jewel. He comes back home. He tells the father what happened. The father says, look. He says, it's the same. The jewels were basically the same. He says, but depending on the environment that you were in, that's where they saw the value of the jewels. You want to stay away from that marketplace. You want to stay away from the marketplace where it was only worth two bucks and you want to go to that, uh, to that store where it's worth 2,000 bucks because it's the same jewel, but they appreciate the value. And, you know, and he said that it's the same thing when it comes to, to the self-worth, that a person needs to, to, a person has that worth within them. We all have that value within us. And we want to be in an environment. We need to be in an environment and... When it, with, and with our kids where they're so fragile and etc they need to be in an environment where that worth is going to be seen and it's going to be seen and it's going to be valued not like the marketplace where it's worth two bucks but that same two it's worth two thousand in the precious store and that means being around people who appreciate them being around people who value them and the parents are the ones who give them that the most and we have the ability to give them that the most like we said before you know and through that I think we we, we you know, we can only do our hishtadlus, but through that, that's, that's how we give them this healthy, you know, this healthy approach. Mm-hmm. I think so. So, yeah. those are my thoughts. But any, anybody want to, yeah, any questions or thoughts? I feel, 
Oh, whatever you want to use. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 